Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. You're about to meet one of the smartest people that I know, one of my best personal friends, someone that I learn a ton from and I admire tremendously. Jason Dorsey is truly one of the I think, most respected true thought leaders in the world, somebody whose work defines our world and helps us redefine our world. So he is the leading generational researcher, I think, in the world. He's been on 60 Minutes. He's been on the Today Show. He's been on the Early Show. He's been on over 200 shows. I mean, he's on national TV on almost a weekly basis. And him and his wife, okay, so Denise Via is the CEO of GenHQ, and they are a research firm that helps huge companies conduct data-driven, you know, empirical analysis on the trends of how generations are buying, selling, working, and they have a brand new book that's coming out called Z-Economy, how Gen Z is going to change the future of business and what to do about it. So this affects you as a personal brand. We're going to talk a little bit about how Jason and Denise have built their careers up to where they are at now. And uh, Jason was recently inducted into the Professional Speaking Hall of Fame. He's had over 1,000 standing ovations and is also one of the most dynamic onstage presenters that I have ever, ever seen. So Jason, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. Just thrilled and honored to be with you. And I just want to say uh, thank you for all that I've learned from you about brand building and developing a platform and really being able to leverage ideas into influence. So thank you so much for having me on and for your friendship. It's truly an honor to be with you today. Of course, brother. So I think, hopefully don't mind me sharing this, you're one of the highest paid speakers in the world and specifically among speakers who are paid a lot of money, who are, no offense, I would put in the non-celebrity category. The non-celebrity, yes. Definitely a non-celebrity over here. Reminded uh-huh. about that by my nine-year-old daughter every day that I'm not a celebrity. So. <laughs> and when I think about why, okay, we talked about a lot of the reasons, you know, being amazing on stage, you have been in this industry a long time. But I think that your superpower is probably research. And of course, Gen HQ, you, the Center for Generational Kinetics is actually the name of the firm, right? So you guys do real research. So can you just talk about like, what do you do there as a research firm? And how do you think that that shapes, you know, 
or has shaped your speaking career in terms of what separates you from other speakers, authors, thought leaders, you know, et cetera? Yeah, it's a great question. And so I think maybe to go back a little bit, I got into this when I was 18 years old and I didn't have a resource like you or, or other groups that could sort of help me to figure out what my path would be to become an author and a speaker and a consultant and eventually a board member and, and so forth. So I had to sort of stumble my way through as many of us do. I ended up sleeping on the floor of a garage apartment when I was 18. I was $50,000 in debt. I had 5,000 books that I had self-printed and no idea what I was doing, which is probably a good thing because I may not have gone <laughs> that if I knew what I was doing. But out of that, I sort of took the traditional path of in order to be an expert, I should write a book, which I still believe is one of the absolute best ways to get out there. It's not the only way, but it's a great way to do it. It shows depth of understanding and sort of mm -hmm. a body of work or a, around a question or strategy or topic or something. So I wrote this first book and then eventually I started speaking for free and then eventually I started getting paid a few hundred dollars and then more. And then I guess it was two or three years later, I was keynoting an event. It was me and Barbara Bush, 5,000 people in the arena, fireworks going off. And wow. to some degree, I, I sort of thought I'd made it. You know, my mom was there. So that was really helpful. So <laughs> that was my mini celebrity moment, Roy. After that, I realized that people would, would pay me to speak and that there was actually a business here to be a brand at that particular mm. time talking about my generation, which we eventually called the millennials. But back then we did it. And it was just young adults. And so I would go and I would speak and write and do all that. And I did that for many years, wrote a bunch more books, and then I ended up on 60 Minutes. And it was sort of one of those watershed moments, certainly for me in my career, but also around the topic of generations. Because until then, it wasn't nearly as hot of a topic. But that 60-minute episode really got the attention, particularly of executives, entrepreneurs, baby mm. boomers, frankly, people that had money and influence and were decision makers. They then called me up and said, you know, we've hired your generation, Jason. They're terrible. Their pants are falling off. You know, their mom's here. They won't work on their birthday. Like, you know, what's wrong with you? And so I sort of became the flak jacket, if you will, uh, for my generation. And in doing that, I'm speaking at all these corporate board events and just, you know, doing what I do. I remember distinctly, I was at this one boardroom and I was meeting with the board and the CEO of this public company. So it's a publicly held company, trades on the, I think it's New York Stock Exchange at the time, basically said that millennials were terrible and they just had all these problems with it. So I, not knowing any better, went afterwards and I asked their head of HR, I said, would you mind sending me the data so I could understand the problem that we just heard about? Because I, I want to make sure I can contextualize it because then maybe I can try to, to solve for it to come up with some ideas. So they sent me the data and I looked at the data, I'll never forget it. And the data didn't match what the CEO had just said. Hmm. And that was a huge deal because I, I, you know, I've served on the board of a public company. I serve on lots of private company boards right now. It, it's unusual that a CEO would make such a bold claim that isn't grounded in their own data, right? And so I went to Denise, my wife, who has a PhD. And I said, Denise, this is the strangest thing. You know, I just was with this company. They're amazing. The CEO said this. I got the data sent. And then the data does not match what the CEO just said. I said, what do you think we should do? And she said, we should start a research company, <laughs> she said, because then we can give people great data, accurate data, and then they can make better decisions. And if we control mm. the data, if, we, if it's our data, then we're the people that they're going to keep coming back to in order to help them grow their business or whatever the problem is they're trying to solve. So that was how we created the Center for Generational Kinetics. And Denise, being a professional researcher, became the CEO, ran off all of our research. And then we started doing more and more research. And we started doing research in the U.S. And then we started doing research outside the U.S., multiple languages. And what ultimately happens, and I think this is so important for people who want to build their brand, is the more data that we collected that was our own, the more people came to us for that information 
for that mm. context, for that insight. And so when you want to separate yourself in a market, one of the things that I've learned to do is to be unique or different from everybody else. Now, I may not be better. I happen to think in most cases our solutions are better, but I'm certainly different because we've now done more than 65 generational studies around the world. We've worked with over 700 clients, including many of the biggest brands in the world. And every time we work with clients, we get their data. And you can imagine now when somebody comes to me from, I don't know, pick an industry, life insurance and says, Jason, you know, can you help us think about the generational impact on the life insurance category and what our sales professionals need to know? I can say, absolutely. In fact, I know exactly what works to sell life insurance to millennials, Gen X and boomers and why one generation tries one technique to sell and that doesn't work with this generation of customers and vice versa. But then I can take mm. that and apply it to automotive. I can apply it to physicians and healthcare. I can apply that to technology, B2B enterprise companies. So all of a sudden what we did, and it was not intentional, what we did is the more data that we created, the more research we did, the more we stood out in the market. And you asked, you know, how do we charge the fees that we receive? It's because people are hiring me because we bring this data, this research, this insights to everything that we do. So even if I don't do a study for someone, the fact is I've already done 15 studies in automotive. I don't have to do that study. I already know what it was. And I'm still getting data from all these different sources. And so for me, like when we wrote the Z economy book, what I think makes it so powerful, so we have all this data about Gen Z, who's now 24 years old, as they relate to, let's say, millennials and Gen X and baby boomers. And so for people out there, let's just use the book as an example, that want to, let's say, recruit or motivate or retain Gen Z, they don't have time, managers out there, to go try a whole bunch of stuff and see what works. They want to know what works. So we're able to give them that because we've already proven it. Mm. Same with marketing or sales or building trust or driving influence. And that's what people pay us for. They pay us to bring context and data-driven insights and help them solve a specific problem right? I'm not a rah-rah speaker. I'm not, you know, I wasn't a coach of a professional football team. I don't do that. I help people understand how to solve tough generational challenges. And right now, like in our case, Gen Z and millennials are upending every major industry, huge issues being created, and they need to be solved so that leaders can move forward, grow their own personal brand, but also move their business forward. And so that's how we got into this. What was that's a good thing for you that they're all causing ruckus because that keeps you <laughs> that keeps you in high demand because they're out there like <laughs> screwing everything up for everybody. Well, and that, so let's take that comment because I think it's a really good one. So the perception we hear from executives all the time is, you know, Gen Z, they're driving all this change. They're just, all this change, they're creating all these problems. And our argument is, no, they're not. They're just doing what they've always done. It's all they've ever known. For them, this isn't change. This isn't new. This isn't different. This is purely all they've ever known in terms of how to communicate, what their work styles are, what their motivations are, what's important to them. And they're bringing that into an environment. The environment sees it as change. But Gen Z and even millennials, they don't see this change. It's all they've ever known. Why are you calling me? Send me a text. You know? yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Bring a checkbook? I don't have one. You know, like these <laughs> sorts of things are real deal. And so in the book in particular, we try to humanize it with a bunch of Gen Z stories, but also of managers who are sharing their personal stories, working with Gen Z, marketers talking about how they're using social media and why certain things work and certain things don't. And I think that's the biggest issue. Like for me, so we sort of built our brain on the idea that we separate generational myth from truth. That's mm. really the key, right? We separate myth from truth. And that's what most people want. People are smart. If they can just get the truth, they'll make a great decision, but they don't know who to trust, where to go for the information and so forth. And so we can bring that to them. So as a brand, you know, my brand evolved. Originally, I was a writer, right? I wrote my first book. And then I became a speaker. I didn't become a speaker out of strategy. I became a speaker because nobody bought the book. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, but I could eventually, I got offered a free lunch to speak. And then I got offered dinner to speak. And then I got paid on $100, whatever. And so, so all of that. So I went from author 
really being passionate about a subject to being a speaker and then trying to figure out how to communicate well, right? 3,000 talks around the world to all kinds of audiences. I mean, the same kind of big stages you speak on. And then from that, going into research. And every time I've done that, our fees have gone up, demand has gone up, influence has gone up. The media calls us all the time because we have the data. And so for me, when I think about building a brand, for example, the Z Economy book is the way we're going to base our brand for the next 10 years. Gen Z is not going away. So I'm so, going to do this and put it out and build on it. I want to talk about Gen Z specifically in a second, because I think it's, you know, they are a massive force in the world, which is going to affect all of our businesses. Before we do that, though, in terms of research, okay, mm -hmm. so let's say that I'm, you know, I'm not a generational speaker, but I speak on something, marriages or health or money or something. What does research like really mean and how can I do something semi-substantive at least and semi, you know, like I, f I think there's got to be different levels of research, right? Like one yeah. thing is like, hey, I did an Instagram poll to my followers. Another might be, hey, I actually conducted a survey and I, you know, found some audience Another level might be I hired some research firm and then maybe the next level is I hired an actual researcher that was on my team. Like, can you just all walk us through like the varying levels of like what counts as research and to what extent we really need to be able to do it in order to kind of cite it as fact and truth and not just like, you know, my Instagram poll. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a, a pretty big difference between data and research. It's, and mm. so a lot of people confuse the two. And so for, let's take your Instagram poll. I actually think social media polls are a great way to drive engagement, but they don't represent really anything other than the people who happen to follow you more than likely, or you're advertising to. And then some subgroup of those that happen to be so enticed that without being paid any money and they have nothing else to do that they're actually going to complete the poll, right? And so if you think about who it represents, I would argue probably doesn't even represent your followers. It represents some subgroup that at that moment was interested enough and didn't have something else going on that they wanted to participate and receive nothing in return for it, right? So it's helpful, it's interesting, you wanna share it, and it's a great data point, right? It's, it's really interesting, and you'll probably find a lot of things that will help to inform future things. We wouldn't consider that research, but we would consider it interesting, and I wouldn't say that it's wrong or bad, it's just one source of data. But I think the problem is people do an Instagram poll or a Facebook poll, or they email their list, and then they put it out as if it's research. And that, I think, is where it's a very slippery slope. For us, generally speaking, quantitative research, which is primarily what we do, we're always looking to have a very low margin of error, usually plus or minus 3.1, 19 out of 20 times. And so if somebody comes to me and says, Jason, I want to know your methodology, I want to know your sample, then I absolutely want to be able to share that with them, help them to understand it. And I always say in my talks, if people are citing data, but they don't tell you where they got it from, or they don't tell you the methodology and sample, be very leery because they could have just polled their friends. Mm. They could have just asked their family. They could have asked a group that they knew was going to answer in a very specific way. So sort of on your, your hierarchy, if you will, of what you provided. So, you know, polls and things to your friends, which by the way, that's a great way to understand your list and a great way to understand your followers. There's other uses for that Absolutely. data point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and if it's for internal insights in particular, I think that's fabulous. What you don't want to do is go start publishing that as if it's research because anybody who's an actual researcher will fight, will poke holes in it. And that's what like somebody like us, we have to be careful. We have PhD researchers because other PhD researchers are looking at our research, right? And so we know that that's sort of the, just the way it works. So you have the polls like you talked about. 
And then you could say, go up, like, here's what I would do. If somebody came to me, because we were with, you know, lots of big name celebrities, and, and we do this for lots of companies, that the easiest way to understand what's going on in an industry that you want to be an expert in is to go and aggregate third-party research. What I mean by that is you go from, find research from all different sources where they did actual studies, and then you mm. put it together, and now you sort of have your one-page, five-page, 10-page, 50-page source document of all this great research that other people have paid for, but they've released it publicly. Like for us, most of our research, we never release publicly because our clients want to use it as a competitive advantage in their marketplace. Mm. And then we have some that want to be really positioned as thought leaders. And so they want to release the research and bring in something different to that conversation. And we help them get tons of media and get on TV shows and all this kind of jazz. But if we're going back to the personal brand side, then what I would say is you want to start with this sort of landscape research where you take whatever you can find out there. And if you have no budget, you just find all the free stuff and you sort of synthesize it together. You cite it correctly. And now you've got this foundational piece of information, right? That you can then refer to. Going like a step up from that, you could join, let's say, a syndicated study or some other study where there's a whole bunch of people chipping in in order to do a really great study. That's pretty common. And then you could jump up even more to which is to what we do, which is custom research. And we do uh, quantitative research, qualitative research. We do mixed method, all kinds of things. But the key there is, like on the quant side, we're doing pretty large studies, 1,000 completes, 2,000 completes, 5,000 completes. We're doing it around the world. We're weighting it to something like the let's say the U.S. census for age, gender, geography, and ethnicity or whatever it is. And then we'll do, like, maybe I just want to find out about people who, I don't know, started college but didn't finish. Or people who are small business owners that are millennials and female, right? Whatever those are, I would do studies built around those. And so as you want to, frankly, as you spend more money, you can do much more complex studies. You can do more complex analytics with the data and so forth. But fundamentally, what I would say to to somebody who came to me and said, look, Jason, I got no money. Where would I start? I would say, great. What I would do is I'd go find all the publicly available research you can, put it together in some source document, cite everything correctly, which is really the key, and then you can start to talk about it. Because it doesn't have to be your data as long as it's released publicly and you cite them appropriately. I mean, our research gets quoted all the time. And that's how we get so much media. It's shocking how many other people use our research in their work. I mean, part of the reason we even did the Z Economy book is because we do this study called the State of Gen Z. We do it every year and have done it for many years. And that's really sort of the source study for people trying to understand Gen Z. And it was getting so much publicity that we ended up doing the Z Economy book in many ways Mm. because we wanted to go really deep around those core questions and strategies. So I personally believe that research is one of the best ways to separate yourself particularly in a crowded market. There's competition everywhere. It doesn't matter what your topic is. Motivation, strategy, generations, leadership, whatever, right? And so anything you can do to distinguish yourself in a credible way, particularly through research, I think is very valuable. And I believe that if you want to work with executives and entrepreneurs and people that are making big bets, the more data and research that you can bring, the more you're going to have trust with them because they will know that you know what you're talking about. And I think that's really important. Even more so Where do you... Fine. I mean, that's really a powerful, that's so practical and powerful is just to like, even for your own confidence that you're not just sharing random thoughts off your head, but it's like, hey, this is based in some statistically valid work. Even if I, even if it's not my original work, where do you find third party research? You just go to like Google and type it in or is there like, Yeah, what I always suggest to people, so we do custom research. We do custom research for, you know, brands. We do it for companies. We do it for lots of uh, big institutional investment groups. We do it for tons of people. So that's our core business. But if somebody wanted to not use us, so let's say, you know, they say, I don't want to work with the Center for Generational Kinetics. I'm not, you know, interested in, you know, whatever the, the topics are where we specialize. I want to go hire somebody else. I would just go on Google. And what I always tell people is get three bids. 
you'll be stunned how different the pricing will be for the same exact thing, dramatically different pricing. If you got five, you have five dramatically. And so then you sort of got to work through and say, okay, what's going to get me what I want? What do I have confidence in the deliverables they're going to provide? Are they going to help me to understand it? Or do they just write a survey and send me the answers? Then I got to go figure it out. Like our specialty is we write really great questions. Like that's what, that's what we have so much business. And then we turn it into really powerful deliverables. And so what happens is you can do a great study, but if you can't tell a good story based on the data, then it doesn't matter how great the study is because people won't be engaged to it. So you really right. got to be able to write great questions, have the right sample, do all the things that, that you do in sort of good research hygiene. And then from there, the next step is turning it into that story based in the data that connects with the people you're trying to reach. Maybe those are executives, maybe those are entrepreneurs, maybe they're meeting planners, whoever it is they are, but they need to be able to understand why that, that research is important to them. Why do they need to take action on it? Why should they engage with you? And that, I think, is where it starts to get very powerful. I think people very often go cheap on research because they think, oh, I just need to do a study and I'm going to throw a few thousand dollars at it or something. And then they're frequently disappointed and they say research doesn't work. But it's sort of like you and I joke about, well, if you pay for, you know, an inexpensive speaker and you're not happy with them, you probably got what you paid for, you know, <laughs> that right. there's not always a direct correlation, but oftentimes there's enough, particularly if they've been around for a long time. But the aggregating third party stuff, like you're saying that you can just sort like the state of Gen Z, you guys make that available just on your website and stuff like, so you're saying you can find credible third party research just to help you understand your own space just by basically searching around and then looking for in their citation, what's their margin of error and their sample size and that kind of stuff to make sure you're looking at a valid piece. Yeah, all great research will share their methodology. So if you go on our website, which is genhq.com, G-E-N-H-Q.com, you can click on State of Gen Z. You'll see our State of Gen Z research studies there for those who are still sort of unsure what this looks like. You can see lots of research we've done for other clients. And so anytime something's publicly available on the web, it usually says, you know, here's our methodology, but it also says, here's how this can be used. If you want to use it, make sure you cite us. You know, if you're going to publish it, make sure you link back, that kind of thing. And by the way, you want to do that because that's the right way to do it. And so, yeah, I would go with the third-party research first. I think that's statistically valid. Put it together and provide it to people in a way that's very helpful for them to understand something. A lot of times people think that research is about solving problems. Like we happen to use it for solving problems, but it may just be understanding a situation. Sure. Because if you don't have understanding, you, you can't drive towards that resolution. You can't innovate. And so it brings a different perspective. You know, I'll use millennials or Gen Z as an example. Lots of our clients say they know Gen Z or millennials, and then they start to describe them. I'm like, well, that's your kid <laughs> or your grandkid. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the 80 other millennials, you know, in, in the U.S. Or Right. That's not a statistically valid sample. It's well, not it's, a... It's a sample of one that, you know, you happen to have one. a lot of emotional tie to. And, and so we always joke that a lot of our clients have a proxy for the generation and that representative of the generation is their child or grandchildren and usually the one that's most frustrating for them. <laughs> and so they're stunned when we say, you know, Gen Z is the fastest growing generation in the workforce. Millennials are the largest generation in the workforce. Millennials outspent every other generation last year. Millennials were the number one generation to refer their friends. Gen Z are the key group of trendsetters right now. For the first time, the youngest, which is Gen Z. Are okay. Okay. So let me, up. let me stop there. Cause I, I want to officially transition here to the Z economy book and to Gen Z, because I, I think that, you know, this expertise and the data you're talking about. So if you put your hat on, so let's just steal a little bit of free consulting from Jason Dorsey. As personal brands that are, you know, communicating about a variety of topics, but we're kind of like establishing thought leadership and things. 
what are the things that we need to know about Gen Z that the data is telling you that you go, okay, if you're trying to reach this audience and why we either should or should not care about reaching the audience, but just like, what are some of the macro trends? I mean, obviously that's what the Z economy book is all about is like Mm -hmm. in the state of Gen Z report. But I think if, as you apply that to personal brands, what are some of the things you think we could be on the lookout for? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll share with you some things that you should do and what to avoid. So in terms of things to absolutely do, like for us, we know with Gen Z, they're very values driven in terms of how they engage with brands. And they don't Mm. just engage, they join a brand. And so if you're going to go out and you're going to promote whatever it is that you're, you know, is your personal brand or your larger brand, it's very important you share the why behind what you do. And I don't mean like the Simon Sinek why. I mean the, you know, how are you going to make the world a better place? How are you helping your local community? How are you working to combat some of these social challenges? That Gen Z is very much connected to this. And we see it over and over and over in our research around the world. So it's very important to have that mission, that thing that you're owning, that you're saying you're tied to. It's not just about making money. In fact, hmm. Gen Z is more frugal than millennials. Gen Z has a higher savings rate. They're looking for coupons and discounts. They're entering the workforce later than ever before. They're going to graduate college later than ever before. 12% of them are already saving for retirement at age 22. Like, I mean, some pretty staggering numbers for a generation so young. So if you want a message to them, and again, this is 24 and under, you want to be very thoughtful that you're in alignment with their values, whichever ones, you know, obviously they got to be your values, but you want to make sure that they're in alignment and you're talking about things that are going to resonate with them. And then you got to walk the talk on that. You can't just say it. We saw so many brands over the last 12 months get completely blown up on social media because they said one thing and then they didn't do it. Or, you know, and so that lack of alignment, Gen Z will call you out so fast for that. So I think that's really important. The second is- So are they socially aware? Is that like you would say they're kind of like socially aware? Well, they're, they're aware of social causes. They want to know that you're about more than just making money. And so much of personal branding, unfortunately, is like, here's how to make money or get rich or do this. And then people turn around and try to sell that. Like, that's interesting for Gen Z. In fact, we would argue that Gen Z would prefer to a side hustle versus trying to even start their own business. There's a bunch of reasons for that tied around risk and money. But the idea here is you want to be really clear what you stand for so they can understand and decide if, they, if it resonates it. with them. The second we know is they are very much into video and not into reading. That doesn't mean they don't read because they do read. But in terms of them taking the effort to engage with the brand, the video is where they start. That's why we see things like TikTok doing so incredibly well, or Snapchat, and even Instagram, and, and obviously you're the expert on videos. So the, the video is what pulls them in and drives that sense of engagement. Reading for many young people is work. Doesn't mean they don't like to do it, it's just work. And they're used to just getting so much content through video that if you're not providing it in video, you're missing them. All the posts with photos and all this stuff, interesting, but you really want to pull them in. Oh, so not even photo fo- not even photos. You're saying like don't don't think of photo and video as the same. Video Correct. is different. Videos, definitely, yeah, absolutely. Great distinction. Video we find much more effective than photo or an image. They don't like Photoshop, things that are fake, things that are perfected. That's why you see brands like Aerie, who's in the Z Economy book doing so well with Gen Z where they're showing like real images of real women, these kinds of things. So that real desire for sort of rawness, I think is very strong with them. What we also see when we look at Gen Z is if you are trying to sell them something, they need to know they're getting a good deal. Now that's important because they are very fiscally conservative or practical with their money. We see that they use coupons, they have this high savings rate, they get money for their birthday, they put it away and then ask their parents for money to go buy stuff. They actually really, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of that in the book. Does that mean it reflects all Gen Z? No, because our belief is generations are clues and not a box, but they're powerful clues that do three things. They allow you to connect with, build trust and drive influence. And if you can do that at a high level, you can grow your brand faster. 
But we also see with Gen Z, if you want to engage with them, is you have to understand their life stage. Remember, they're doing everything later than previous generations. That's getting their driver's license later than any other generation. Enter the workforce later yeah, than generation. Yeah, that boggles my mind. My, my niece, like, she waited like a year to get her driver's license. And I'm like, everyone I know was there the day that you were eligible for a driver's license. That blew my mind. Yeah, well, the, the, the concept of freedom, which is underlying that, the idea that for other generations, your driver's license was your passport to freedom, was your ability to leave your home. Well, Gen Z, we find, don't need that for a variety of reasons. We could go into all those, take the rest of the time. But, but fundamentally, they don't attach the same thing to a driver's license. And so if you have a different a view of it, then your engagement with it is different. Even owning a car sounds like work and expense, but you don't have to do it in a lot of places. So all of that, that's why I say, you know, what work with millennials, we tell brands this all the time, what work with millennials doesn't work with Gen Z because they're not millennials 2.0. I mean, they are completely different. They don't remember a time before social media. They, they've always been able to do everything through by sliding a finger on a screen. I mean, it's fascinating. They'll never write a check. They'll never have a landline at home. All the stuff that sort of millennials started and was new and different, Gen Z doesn't remember anything but that. In fact, Gen Z does not remember 9-11. That was one of our Whoa. biggest discoveries, and that's when we got to Whoa. shift birth years. So, yeah, I mean, this generation is so different, more diverse than millennials. So in the book, and Z Economy, we talk about this because if you can bring this accurate context, then you can figure out what to do. But the problem is so often we start with our own, and then we apply it to them. And that's where we miss people. That is fascinating. I mean, yeah, just some of those things that you just said, like 9-11 and driver's license. I mean, those are, you know, these like capstone moments in our life that don't even, they're not even on their register. So the way that we live and think is completely different from how they live and think. And it's not that they have changed. I love what you said early on about they're stepping into our environment. They're not changing. It's who they have been. Awesome. So Jason, this was like, I mean, I have to going to listen to this like several times just to pull out the part about how to do research and think about that. And then also Gen Z, where do you want people to go to connect with you? Obviously, the Z economy book is coming out, you know, about this time. And so you can go find that and learn more about how we can take our personal brand and connect it to the trends that are coming with Gen Z. But where should people go if they want to connect with you personally? Yeah, sure. Uh, definitely. If you want to go check out the book, if you buy it on Amazon and you email us at z at genhq, genhq.com, we'll send you all the free video courses that we put together. Denise and I, they're really, really good. In terms of connecting with us personally, easiest way to find me is on Twitter. You can also just join our newsletter. That's when we share all of our best research every month. You can sign up for that at jasondorsey.com. And if you want to read more about the book and different things, you can go to zconomy, zconomy.com. I really look forward to connecting with everybody. You know, if people are part of your tribe, Rory, uh, you know, I, I'd love to connect with them. So please feel free to reach out. Yeah, well, there you have it, friends. That That is what it sounds like and looks like when you have real data-backed insights as research. Jason, thank you so much for this and encourage you all, go follow Jason. Check out him and uh, Denise's book, Z Economy. We'll link up to that in the show notes. Jason, we wish you the best. Thanks for being here, my man. Thank you, Rory. Congrats. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it 
to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 